Corinthians chapter 5. Thank you. I'd like to talk to you today about the reward seat of Christ. You know, oftentimes when we read the New Testament, we, we read passages like this, and most of us really don't have time to stop and digest uh, what they're talking about. And I think this is one of the oft-neglected topics uh, as far as Bible prophecy is concerned. Uh, we're talking these days about the pre-tribulation, pre-millennial view of Bible prophecy. That simply means that the rapture occurs before the seven-year tribulation and the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. There are other views, and we have to always keep in mind that we don't want to make our view a, a, any condition of fellowship uh, as far as uh, intimidating some other person who has a different view. This is not a condition of spiritual fellowship, what view of Bible prophecy you have. Pastor Al last week did a terrific job talking about the rapture of the church. Uh, what's next after that? Whenever we are caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, Bible scholars tell us that the next thing on God's prophetic agenda is what we know as the reward seat of Christ. So we're going to read, first of all, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 10. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, we teach in our church, and you spread in your circle of influence, that the only sure foundation for people to build their life on is Christ. That's what Paul says right here. There's no other one. But there are different ways that believers build on that foundation, and Paul is throwing out a challenge right here to build the proper way once you have been saved. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, that's one way we can build. But there's another way, and he delineates right here, wood, hay, or straw. Each one's work will become clear for the day, that's the day of the reward seat of Christ, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. The Greek word for revealed is uh, apocalypto, uh, from which we get the word revelation. It's going to be made known. Uh, it's going to be revealed by fire, and the fire will try each one's work of what sort or quality it is. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. That's why we coined it the reward seat of Christ. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Or if we were putting it in our words today, so as by the skin of his teeth. Some people will enter heaven in that manner. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, that means Paul says, listen, whether I'm in heaven or I'm here on earth, my goal is to be well-pleasing to the Lord. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In other words, what he's saying is every Christian is accountable to God 
for the life that they live after they are saved, once they are born again. And whenever we stand at the reward seat of Christ, we're going to be rewarded or not rewarded. Our reward will be forfeited, dependent upon how we lived our life here on earth after salvation. Paul says here in 1 Corinthians 5, 9, that his ambition was to please the Lord. You know, there's plenty of motive for you and me to have that same ambition today. Uh, the motivation, first of all, for our work is the motivation of love. You know, it's easy to love someone who loves you. And so this makes it extraordinarily easy for us to love Christ as Paul loved Christ. 1 John 4, 4a says, God is love. 1 John 4.10 says, this is love, not so much that we love him, but that he loved us and gave his life for us. Paul said in Romans chapter 8, what can separate us from the love of God? And of course, he concluded there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. 2 Corinthians 5.14, Paul says, the love of Christ compels me. In other words, it drives him on. He says, the reason I do what I do is because I love Jesus. That's why. Uh, you know, love is the highest motivation. And the older you get, the more uh, you understand the greatness of love, how powerful it really is. Uh, you know, when you love someone, you want to please them. And if you don't please them, you just prove to them that you don't really love them. You heard about the man, the old man who was on his way to the nursing home but needed to stop by the clinic to get some stitches out of his hand. The nurse noticed that uh, he was nervous looking at his watch and he, she asked him if he had an appointment that he had to make. He explained that every day he went to the nursing home to have breakfast with his wife. The nurse asked if she would be upset if he were late. He said, oh no, she won't be upset. Uh, she has Alzheimer's and she hasn't known me for three years. The nurse then said, why do you go each day if she doesn't know you? He said, I still know her. That's love, isn't it? That's love. Love is an incredible thing. Uh, Paul says, I work for Christ because I love him. But there is another motivation in the Bible that we don't speak very much about, but it's really there and it's legitimate. It's for the sake of reward. Uh, it's what we get for being faithful to Christ in this life. Now, I know that all of us are rewarded daily for being a Christian, aren't we? Jesus said, I'm come to give you life, eternal life, and then life more abundant. That's a pretty big reward, blessing. We receive so many rewards from the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. You know, people lay down their life in this world for a reward for their company. Um, the boss says to a worker, listen, if you work extra hours during tax season, I'll reward you. You'll get a bonus. Uh, the carrot is hung out there in front of us, and we run toward it. Uh, the boss may say, listen, we have a position opening and up, up, and if you take it, it'll be well worth your while. Well, you know, Jesus said some things like that to the Christian. Matthew 5, 12, the people were talking about getting persecuted, and this is what Jesus said to them. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward. Now follow me. These are the words of Christ. Great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets that were before you. Matthew 6, 3, the Lord continues. 
But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do it as secretly as you can, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And what the Lord is saying there is don't exchange earthly rewards for heavenly rewards. So don't spend all of your time searching the applause of men in this world because I got something better for you if you spend your time serving me. Don't exchange earthly rewards. Revelation 22:12 says this, and behold, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, man, this is incredible. Are we supposed to work for the Lord? We really are. He has saved us. That's one of our major reasons that Christ saved us for you and for me to become a worker bee for the cause of Christ in this world. And he says, listen, if you do that, I'm going to reward you. Uh, this reward of which I speak this morning is the third and final step of our salvation. Let's just think about a few steps of salvation. Of course, the, the first one is salvation. Remember the angel said in Luke chapter 2, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The Bible says God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be what? Saved, right? When we trust in Jesus alone as our Savior, uh, that's the first step. That's just starting out in the Christian life. A new life, being born again, born from above. Uh, that's our goal, to bring people to Christ here in our church. But we, we need a higher goal and uh, another goal after that, and that's what we call that sanctification. Now, don't let that word throw you. It simply means our journey of spiritual growth and development. We are predestined, the Bible says, to grow in Christ. That's God's plan for your life. You say, well, does God have a plan for my life? He sure does. Romans 8.28, uh, we love that. All things work together for what? For good, for those who love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined us to become conformed to his image. That's God's plan for your life. You're supposed to conform yourself uh, to the image of Jesus Christ, and that simply means for you and me each day of our life or each month of our life to become a little bit more like Christ. That's his plan. And so we do that the rest of our life, and uh, that's a big goal, and uh, we'll be doing it the rest of our life. But the final step we call glorification. That's a new body. That's a reward for our obedience and work on earth. That's a home in heaven with Christ. And so after the rapture of the church, the trumpet shall sound, the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, we stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And a lot of times when people hear that term, it kind of turns them off because it's, it sounds so negative. The judgment seat of Christ. Well, let me assure you today that it has nothing to do with the judgment of our sins. But it does have something to do with the judgment of our works once we have been saved. Now, our sins were judged in Christ on the cross. That's why Paul said in Romans 8.1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. In other words, your sins will not be held against you anymore because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Christ was judged in your place. That's why we love him so much. Amen? 
He was, took our place upon the cross. We call him our substitute. God in the Old Testament allowed a substitute offering uh, for the sins of the people. God says, listen, you should die, but if you bring a goat or you bring a lamb or you bring this or you bring that, I'll credit that to your account. So when Jesus died upon the cross for our sins, he credited, God credited his death on the cross to your account. And when we believe in him, that's when that whole translation comes to fruition. Uh, the sin question is settled. Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as we removed our transgression from us. Hebrews 10, 14, for by one offering he's perfected forever. Now follow this. One offering perfected forever. Those who are being sanctified, that's you. That's me. Salvation is a gift. It's not something we earn as a reward. Uh, and so the judgment of our sins took place on the cross. But when we stand at the judgment seat of Christ, our works will be discerned, will be evaluated, will be judged. Our sin is not called into question. Uh, I heard uh, one time that there used to be a sign in the registrar's office at Dallas Theological Seminary in Dallas, Texas, and it read this, salvation is by grace, but graduation is by works. And that's true. And if we, were, if we took a little lead on that and put a sign in our church, it would read this, salvation is by grace. There's nothing you could ever do to contribute to your soul salvation. It's already been done. But rewards are by works at the judgment seat of Christ. Well, you know, the judgment seat of Christ might be compared to a commencement ceremony. At graduation, there's some measure of disappointment for some. Uh, they probably, emotion goes through their mind. I wish I could have been better. I wish I could have graduated higher in my class. Uh, you know, people at the top of their classes are very competitive. I want to graduate fifth or fourth or third or second or first. However, at such an event, the overwhelming emotion is joy. So whenever you hear of the judgment seat of Christ, the overwhelming emotion will be joy, not remorse, uh, the graduates don't leave the auditorium weeping because they didn't earn a better grades. Rather, they're thankful that they've been graduated and they are grateful for what they did achieve. But there are two elements as far as the judgment seat of Christ is concerned. One is positive and the other is negative. The Bible talks about suffering loss, 1 Corinthians 3.15. What does that mean? That means rewards forfeited. What we could have had if we had served the Lord faithfully. And, and, and I want to, to really in some way appeal to you today because, you know, it's so easy for us uh, to forget and to get on the wrong channel and to, and to waste the time that God has given us here to gain the rewards that, uh, that he speaks about in the Bible in 2 John 8, verse 8. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things which work, we've worked for, but that we might receive a full reward. Now follow me. A full reward. We're saved. God's plan wants to give you a full reward for your service for Christ. Uh, but sometimes there's a period in our life that we just, we're inconsistent, we're unreliable, we're unfaithful, we're unconcerned, we're apathetic. Well, uh, that's not a good thing. 
That's not a good thing. And I believe that if we stay close to Christ, we don't have to have too many of those periods in our life. 1 John 2.28 is a great verse. And now little children abide in him that when he appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. What's that mean? That means when Christ comes back again, there are going to be some believers that are going to be ashamed at the coming of Christ. And just think of the regret that some believers will have that they just kind of threw this golden opportunity away that Christ has given all of us. He's given us this incredible life to live for him. And sad to say, some people take it so lightly. And when Christ comes back again, they're going to hang their head and be ashamed. I heard about a minister one day. He sat at the bedside of a dying friend. And they talked of heaven and tears filled his eyes, his friend's eyes. And the young minister thought his friend was afraid to die. And so attempted to speak words of encouragement to him. His friend said, listen, I'm not afraid to die. I'm not ashamed to die. I want to... He went on to say that Jesus was his savior, but he had lived for himself. And now he had to meet Jesus empty-handed. That is possible. To meet Jesus empty-handed. Well, Jesus said in Matthew 6, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust does destroy, where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break through and seal. In other words, send your treasures on. Think about eternal rewards, not so much earthly rewards. Well, uh, the judgment seat of Christ. Uh, you'll find it a number of times, actually 10 times in the New Testament, it's translated, the word, Greek word bima is translated judgment seat. One time it's translated throne. If you were to take a trip today to the Holy Land, maybe you would go through Athens, Greece. When you got to Athens, they would take you to Corinth. And you would go down to Corinth to these stones, and there's a sign there in English. It says, Bema, judgment seat. Well, the Apostle Paul was quite familiar with that seat. That's where he was brought before Gallio, uh, and uh, he stood there. Uh, one of these days, every believer will stand at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema. Now, there's plenty of motivation for us to serve the Lord and to please Him. We love Him. And uh, now I've given you another reason, and that's for rewards. And so when we stand there on that day, what's going to happen? Well, the Lord is going to evaluate our works. And I'm sure He's already done this, but, but here the Bible says that our works are going to be made plain to us. In fact, I know that the Lord is evaluating our works every day because I've read Revelation chapter 2 and, verse, and chapter 3. And remember there he talks to the churches and he said, I know your works. I know your works. What does that mean? That means he knows our works. But on this day, it's going to be revealed. We're going to see about our works. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, when we read it, whether our works are good or bad. Now, the word bad has nothing to do with sin. The word bad there uh, means worthless for the kingdom of God. Because remember I said to you, the sin account was already taken care of at the cross. That's finished. It's over. But uh, our work for Christ, 
What about that? Is it, does it make sense? Is it for him or is it for us? Well, that's kind of penetrating, isn't it? I think there are lots of periods in my life that, that I served the Lord, at least I thought I was serving the Lord, and I was doing it for myself. It made me feel good. Uh, I like to do what I like to do. And I think that I probably didn't have the right motivation, and I think probably there are blocks of periods in my life that the Lord says, listen, John, that was worthless. You know, you just thought you were, doing, you were going through the motions, but it wasn't with the right attitude. It wasn't for the right purpose. It was for you rather than me. And I'm willing to face that now, and I, uh, I understand that. Uh, but this evaluation has to do with the motive of our work. 1 Corinthians 3.13 says of what sort it is. The word sort means quality. If the work has any value or not, just think of it. What kind of a steward are we since we've been saved? He gives us life, and he says to us, now what are you going to do with it? Uh, he gives us the Holy Spirit. Now this is incredible. Uh, did we waste his guidance and leadership in our life trying to lead us in the paths of righteousness? He gives us all 24 hours a day. He gives us time, talent, treasure. He gives us all a certain amount of money to live on. We're managers of that money. Do we invest that money in the Lord's work or do we use it on ourselves? That's all going to be revealed in that day. Everything we have comes from God. You know that. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, listen, don't do it for the reward of men. Do it for the reward that I'm going to give you. Uh, if you use it for his glory, you'll be rewarded. And the Bible says that the works are, are going to be put to the test of fire, 2 Corinthians 5, 13, the fire test. And uh, God's going to put all the works that you've done for him since you've been saved in this humongous fire and some of it is going to disappear like it's gone and some will last and uh, for those works that last that stand the test of God's fire uh, you're going to be rewarded and uh, there's different kinds of crowns the Bible says and I want you to write these down and look them up when you get home first of all there's the runner's crown uh, in the Bible, uh, Paul says, listen, we're Christian athletes and we're running for Christ. 1 Corinthians 9.25, everyone who competes for the prize is disciplined in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. You are an athlete for Christ. Paul has in mind the athletic games in the Roman arena. And before the contest, each participant practices self-discipline being disciplined, his body under control. He has a curfew. He has to take care of himself. He can't win uh, unless he does. And Hebrews says, lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset you. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. They denied themselves certain things in order for them to be their best. They conquered the old nature, reigning in the cravings of the flesh. The Lord says, listen, if you're a good runner for me, I'm going to give you the runner's crown when you stand at the judgment seat of Christ. There's another crown we call the soul winner's crown. 
Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is the tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.19, for what is our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing are not even you in the presence of the Lord. Uh, when we bring people to Christ, there's a special crown for those who do. Uh, but I, I want to throw out some real encouragement for you today because I know that there are probably Christians that will live their life and never maybe be in the presence of someone who prays to receive Christ in their presence. Uh, I believe the soul winner's crown is much bigger than that. I believe it's for everybody who participates in the network of soul winning for the church. Those who share in bringing people to Christ. Every time a, an individual is converted, there's joy in heaven, but at that day, the giving of rewards, the soul winner will be exceedingly joyful. And when those are presented to God with whom he had won to Christ, the answer is in those who will be in heaven because of your prayers, your gifts, your preaching, your personal work, all of us work together. When one of our little kids find Christ in our Sunday school, who gets the credit? The whole church. Now, it would be wonderful because only one person can be in their presence, right? But it's the whole church working together. It's the prayers of God's people. It's the encouragement to the Sunday school teacher. It's the encouragement to mother and dad. All, all of us in the church are part of that soul-winning network. We're all encouraging. We're all praying. We're all giving to keep the lights on in the church. Paul referred to this in Philippians 4.17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul said, I'm out here working for you. And here we have Daniel Gonzalez today. You know who he's working for? For you and for me. And when Daniel brings some people to Christ in Ecuador, uh, we get the credit. You get the credit. You're sitting there and you're saying, boy, I'm not much of a soul winner. I'll tell you what, you're pretty good. Because you're helping us meet our commitments to to help him, and we're all in this thing together. There's another crown. It's called the Watcher's Crown. 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me in that day, and not to me only, but unto all those who love his appearing, people who are watching for the coming of the Lord. God looks down, and if the Lord comes back, uh, he sees some people watching. They wake up in the morning and say, hey, listen, I think I'll look to the sky. I think maybe Jesus will come back today. At least I'm hoping that. I'm praying about that. Jesus, come quickly. And uh, when Jesus comes, I think he'll see a lot of people watching and he'll say, listen, come over here. There's a crown. It's called the watcher's crown. You get one. You were watching for my return. There's another crown called the sufferer's crown. Those who suffer for Christ. Revelation 2.10, fear none of these things which you shall suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison that you may be tried and you shall have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you a crown of life. In our news, every week now we find Christians around the world being martyred simply because they're Christians. Well, the Lord has a crown for them. That'll be an exciting time because we... Uh, we'll, if we're there in their presence and we see the Lord says, now all the martyrs, please come forward. Whew. Jim Elliott was, was a martyr in Ecuador. And here he comes. Jim, here's your crown. 
the martyr's crown. And then there's a shepherd's crown too. 1 Peter 5, 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, take the oversight, not by constraint but willingly, not for filthy lucre or money, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being an example to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall see, receive a crown of glory that fades not away. You know, I think in this life God does call shepherds, they don't, some of them have wee little flocks, two or three people maybe. Some have large flocks and they have helpers under shepherds. But uh, their Lord's going to say, hey, listen, all you shepherds, come on now, it's your turn. Here's the shepherd's crown. Now what are we going to do with these? We're going to cast our crowns back to Christ. Let me read it in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10. The 24 elders sat, fell down before him who sits on the throne and worshipped him whose lives who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist, and were created. You are worthy, Lord. These crowns belong to you. You know, it's so easy for our life to be over for us to be overwhelmed with life, isn't it? It's so easy to skip those times that the Lord wants to have with us, with you and me in our Bibles. It's so easy for us to make excuse after excuse why we can't serve the Lord in this particular stage of our life. Maybe later sometime we'll get serious about serving God. Well, you know, later may be too late because maybe the Lord will come back and we'll be ashamed at His coming. Um, recently I heard about a testimony of an Olympic athlete. He won five gold medals at the Winter Olympics, Olympics some years back. A friend went to visit his home one day expecting to see his medals displayed. However, he couldn't see them and he asked, where do you keep your medals? And he said, uh, I don't have them. Uh, and he went on to say, the first one I gave my mom because without her I wouldn't have made it. The next one I gave to my younger brother because he supported and encouraged me. The next one I gave to my coach because without him I couldn't have done it. And he said, the other two I gave away also. He said, I don't have any. What are we going to do with our crowns? We're going to give them away. We're going to come to the throne of God. And we're going to say, Lord, here they are. Because without you, we wouldn't have any. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. We're going to give them away. 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God, I am what I am. Without him, we wouldn't have a crown. So I want to encourage you today. Don't be ashamed when the Lord comes back. Be diligent. Be watching, and the Lord may say to you, hey, listen, I saw you watching today. Here's a crown for you. I saw you putting your body under subjection, disciplining yourself for the long marathon race because you want to be used as long as you can and you want to run as hard as you can. I saw all of that. Here's a crown for the runner. You're a good athlete. Let's bow our heads in prayer. 
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Whenever we come to Christ, the clock starts ticking. And the Lord records our actions, our work, our motive, our reasoning. And all of that is going on right now. And one of these days it will be revealed to you. And he's going to throw all of your life in this cauldron of fire and turn up the heat. And only those things which you have built with gold, silver, and precious stones, the right kind of building material, the right motive, the right aim, the right end for the glory of God will come out on the other side. Everything else is burned up. And you will be rewarded. I want to encourage you to look toward your reward in heaven, not here. This is not heaven. This is not what we're supposed to live life for here on earth. We're to lay up treasures beyond. And the Lord says, listen, if you do that, there's a great reward for you out there. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for uh, motivating us. First of all, because we love you, Lord. Secondly, because you said, listen, if you serve me, I'll reward you. Don't cherish the rewards you get here, but look to the ones in the future at the rewards of Christ. Lord, I just uh, thank you for this time that we can peer into your word, word and draw strength for the journey. We pray now that you apply these things to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song together.